We'd like to welcome you again to another profoundly okay episode of VA I Radio. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Yeah, well, it took a couple of tries to get it out, but I thought you might like that one. We got there. That's the important thing. Good. And, and if you had a uh, ridiculous adjective to oversell the show, you can just file that one for next time. Fair enough. See it you. will be filed because I had one, fella. I bet you did. Yes, I'm, I did. I'm just trying to make your life easy over here. I appreciate that. You're cool like that. Yeah, right on. So, uh, as as per usual, as we uh, start these episodes of V8 Radio, which is a uh, a show that's about nonsense and cars, and sometimes a little bit more of one than the other. Um, we like to kind of entice our listeners to stick around by throwing out a trivia question. And uh, have you you got one for this uh, for this show? I got one. Oh, I got man. one. <laughs> the look in the eye. Uh, are you ready? Mm. I'll say yes, I'm ready. I don't know that I am, but Th- this one will probably just you'll rattle it off in two seconds. Uh, you remember when Chrysler took over? AMC, when Chrysler bought AMC. Without a doubt. What year did that happen? Um, Chrysler bought AMC, I'm going to say in 1983. That's my guess. 1983. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Not a bad guess. Yeah. We'll find out later. <laughs> well, we'll find out later, Kevin, if you're right or not. We uh, we had a fine AMC product right around that time period. Yeah, there was a, there was a few. Well, we we owned we, one. My family had one. Oh oh oh, your family did. Which was yeah, what was that? Yeah, we had a 1981 AMC Concord DL wagon. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice car. It was a uh, it was yellow with. Uh, you know, simulated wood grain and a uh, tritone brown velour interior <laughs> with that kind of seven. It still had the 70s spacey egg shaped seat styling, you know, that AMC was known for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, it, the Concorde was kind of the evolution of the Hornet, you know. So uh, right. m- my dad affectionately called, even though it, did, it had nothing to do with color, but the my dad called that car the grape. Because it was a, it was <laughs> nice. a Concorde grape, I guess. Oh, right. I got you. Okay. Yeah, and, and I didn't understand that for years. So my my brother had an AMC product as well uh, in the in the mid '80s. It was a um, an '83 AMC Spirit. Uh, it was powder blue hatchback, nice. with a four speed. Yeah, it was a kind of a cool car. So I'd steal it sometimes from him when he was out with his buddies. And of course, I didn't have a driver's license then. And oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, luckily, I never smashed it up. Well, around that time, the Spirit wasn't there an AMX version of that? I think there was. I think in the in the early '80s they resurrected the AMX name, and it was like an all black Spirit. Huh. And that's, of course, the same time when they really got into four wheel drive. So yeah, the, right with the Eagle, right? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, that was um, that was an interesting car. In uh, in 1981. My dad decided it was time to buy a new car. And, and looking back, he was one of these guys who bought a brand new car every couple of years until they got married and started having a family. So I think his last new car was in 1964. He bought a 64 Dodge. And then from 64 on, he had used cars. And, okay. you know, he bought a house and my sister was born and I was born and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So by 81, I think he was finally ready to buy a new car. And uh, I remember going all over town to the different dealers. And he was a police officer in town, so he knew all the dealers and he knew all the salesmen and he he knew everybody. So it was was just as much of a social event, I think, as it was a car (laughs) buying exercise. But it was not how you do it today because there was no internet, you know, there's no research, there's no... You know, you still relied on brands, you know, I had one of those and I hated Mm -hmm. it, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there was the personal relationships of the, uh, of the different dealers that you went to. So we had been to, and this was all, you know, middle-class kind of stuff. So we weren't shopping for anything extravagant, still had to be a family car and and they were leaning towards getting a wagon. And up until that point, he had been 
rotating through some Cadillacs, but they were like eight or 10 year old, you know, we had a 70, 73 sedan Deville that had, you know, 4 million miles (laughs) on it and all the paint was peeled off. And then he had a 66 before that and a 67, you know, all these beater cads. And my mom is finally like, look, I don't, you know, sure it's a Cadillac, but I, I want something new and reliable. And so we went to the Mercury dealer and checked out the, uh, the Mercury Marquis wagon, which at that point was like a Fairmont body style. You know, it was a midsize, not oh, like a sure. Grand Marquis, big one. It was just the Mercury Marquis, right. the littler one. Right. And uh, and also the Zephyr, I think. Uh, we looked at those. Right. And she didn't like those. And we went to the Oldsmobile dealer and we looked at a uh, an Olds. Um, it was probably a Cutlass Sierra front drive station wagon okay and uh you know smaller uh deal and what she didn't like about that that was kind of the chevy celebrity style you know oh yeah 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 you know midsize and and she didn't like how the dashboard was very vertical and kind of a flat wall it didn't have any contour to it it was just a big straight across thing she didn't like that so then um we actually stopped in at the local cadillac dealership probably just because we were in the neighborhood, not that we're buying a Cadillac, but it was a car, car kind of day. And, you know, I think he was asking one of his salesman buddies, you know, what's decent around here. And, and he's like, well, you know, right down the street is the, uh, the Buick dealer. Um, maybe you want to go over there. So we go to, uh, the Buick dealer and looked at the Buick century wagon, another little wagon, very similar yeah. to the olds. Didn't really dig that. Right. And I said, you know, next door is this uh, AMC Jeep dealer. And the AMCs were not on anybody's radar whatsoever, but they had a giant lifted, like a CJ7 in the showroom. It was red, chrome wheels, mud tires, roll bar, KC highlights on top, winch, Mm -hmm. push bar, jerry cans on the back. I mean, this this thing was killed. It it was even pinstriped. So oh, wow. I, I'm guessing that this was either a last ditch effort by this AMC dealer to try and get somebody in the door right. or it was like, you know, used, but nice enough to be in the showroom with the new cars. Uh, and it was sure. all dialed up. Right. So I'm like, can, Danny, can we go look at this Jeep? And he's like, no, I don't want a damn Jeep. <laughs> and I said, no, I just want to see it, you know, because it, where I grew up, a lot of people didn't have Jeeps. And, uh, uh-huh. so we take a few minutes and he's like, ah, oh, you know, fine. So we go in there and I'm kind of crawling all over this Jeep and my mom looks across the showroom and there it was, ah, <laughs> this yellow Concord wagon sold. <laughs> nice. And that is how that happened. <laughs> well done. Well yeah, done. Big yeah. Al. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an interesting, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to, I didn't really, I guess I had something to do with the, the purchase because they never would have gone there if it wasn't for that Jeep. Right. But it, it tells right. you, you know, you got something good mm-hmm. in the showroom. It'll drag people in. Yeah. It, yeah, it brought you in the in the door and got you to buy a car. Got your dad to buy a car. So it did its job. That's it. So there's a, there's a picture of that Concord wagon in that on our website at VATVshow.com in the forum threads under the uh, project vehicles that are individual of, of my 70 Buick Riv. I kind of articulate a little bit of that story. Gotcha. So gotcha. yeah, that, you know, that's all, that's a great story and all, but you got a trivia question attached to yeah, all that, yeah. my man? <laughs> Is that what we're doing here? <laughs> I thought this was uh, story time. Uh, I do have a trivia question. Yes, yes. Well, right on. All right, this is because I know how much of a, uh, a Ford and Mustang and Shelby fan you are. <laughs> I, I know what F.E. means now. Yes, you do. And F.U., I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on the Shelbys, uh, where did the name GT350 originate? Oh, um, I actually have heard, heard this story before. As you, uh, um, as you recall, the GT350 was debuted in 65, and it's a 289 cubic inch engine. Right. Um, from what I heard, it was maybe 350 steps from Carroll Shelby's office to his shop, and that's how he came up with the GT350. Well, that's kind of a radical idea. 
Isn't it though? But is that your is that your official? Yeah, that's the only answer I have. So <laughs> yeah. Official? Okay, so <laughs> I'll write this down. Three hundred and fifty yeah. steps equals GT three fifty. All right, we will file that away until the uh, the end of the episode. Yeah. Right on. Pending we have any other stories to tell in the middle. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be one or two, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So yeah, that was definitely a uh, a time warp to think about that AMC. So yeah, I'm sorry if I if I derailed completely, but man, that scratched no, part of my no, uh, part of my brain that I haven't been in in quite a long time. Well, you you got to let it out sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I remember being in high school. We ha- we had that car up until '87, I think. So is that right? Uh, I was getting my driver's license in the in the I don't know, 88 or 89. And uh, we still had that, we still had that AMC and it was like two years before I was going to get my license. So I was already kind of working my own man. And I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm going to get my license pretty soon. Uh, maybe we should get some sway bars and some better suspension <laughs> stuff for the, for the wagon. <laughs> and then he told me what FE means. <laughs> <laughs> sweet yeah a lot of memories with that silly car we took that thing on a family vacation the four of us from chicago to california and drove across death valley and the whole thing in a you know it's a straight six amc concord wagon did the whole clark griswold deal man piece of tape on the back seat you know you don't cross to my side and you don't touch me and and, and all that man I think uh, I know that tape. I know that tape. Yeah. Well, it's summertime, you know, and I've been thinking a lot about a lot of these, you know, summer vacations and road trips and stuff and and, uh, Mm -hmm. trying to spend more time outside and and do things outside instead of being, you know, trapped at the desk or or whatever, because, you know, we're kids. You got to run around all summer long to some degree and and be outside a lot and everything. And, you know, I miss that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This Me too. <laughs> adult responsibility thing really kind of blows sometimes. I know it does. My my kids are living the high life right now, but I'm not. <sighs> so what is the regimen of the kids these days on the on a summer day? That you, you you let them do whatever they want, or they your kids yeah, are probably in nine different much. programs too, though, right? They got fifty eight things to do. Well, well, my my older one is in gymnastics, and she she goes to gymnastics uh, class once a week on Mondays, but during the week. Um, they're home. They can do whatever they want, and they can go down to the clubhouse pool if they want and go swimming or hang out with their friends or, you know, get in all kinds of mischief. There but you go. Luckily, they they tend not to get into any real mischief, which is great. Yeah. So they're, they're, well, they're actually pretty decent kids, so I, I, have to, I have to give it to them for that. My summers were, uh, you know, on that same exact cross-country trip with that darn AMC wagon was my exposure to Cartoons Magazine. Did you ever read Cartoons Magazine as a kid? I've seen it a few times when I was a kid, but I didn't really get it regularly. Yeah, so so Cartoons was was a game changer for me because growing up, I, I started reading Hot Rod like all of us, you know, when I was in grade school or younger, and it was a gift from my aunt, a subscription to Hot Rod. Cool. And I remember reading the magazine and looking at the pictures and not really understanding anything, but mm-hmm. it was cool to look at. Well, in 1983, I was 11, and we're on this cross-country trip, and I think we went to a like a Piggly Wiggly or some kind of grocery store in Colorado. Right. And on the newsstand is this thing called Cartoons, and it's this hand-drawn cartoon book and i was never into comics per se because i was into cars and cars and comics normally don't get along it's all superheroes and stuff right and i start flipping through this and i'm like i gotta have it you know it was the uh october issue of 1983 and it was an interesting time period because that's when the new corvette was coming out oh right right right, so so the c4 corvette which Mm -hmm. you know there's another corvette trivia question there was no 83 corvette technically oh dude i was close (laughs) to asking you that (laughs) (laughs) but i said no there's no way he's not gonna know that well i got to learn all about that car because of uh 
of a couple of magazines. One was Motor Trend, did a huge thing on the 84 Corvette. And then I see this cartoons thing, and they got one on the cover. And there's a, a George Trosley, he's an artist who, uh, if you saw his work, you'd, you'd recognize it immediately as stuff you've been seeing your whole life. But Trosley used to do a how to draw column in this magazine, and it was how to draw the nice. new Corvette. So oh, sweet. now I'm on this road trip and I got a box of crayons and markers and stuff. And now I got a magazine that's going to tell me how to draw this new Corvette. So, I mean, I'm, I'm over the moon at this point and I'm reading the stories uh, because it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a cartoon book, so it's not articles, but it's all car related stuff. Uh, not tech articles, I should say. And when you first open it up, they got these two characters named Crass and Bernie, which was a play on crash and burn. And uh, uh-huh. that was another George Trosley uh, um, creation. And these were two guys who, you know, it's a, again, it's a comic, so it's not necessarily accurate to reality by any stretch. But these guys had the life. There's two dudes that live in an old wooden garage uh, that's kind of situated at the back of a, a grass lot. There's no house. They live upstairs. And mm-hmm. anything they want to happen in the bottom half of this garage can happen. So if there's a drag race on Friday, they can put a whole rail job together in three days with stuff laying around in the yard, go win the drag race, get the trophies, get the girls and be heroes, you know? And it was, right. it was just a cool thing to be a, a kid and go, Hey, I understand that. You know, they didn't, it wasn't how to pick a camshaft, but it was his stories. Right. So, uh, there was a handful of artists that I really like. George was one uh, a guy named Steve Austin and not the $6 million man, you know, or the, or the wrestler <laughs> or uh, the wrestler. <laughs> uh, but Steve Austin was another guy who had a style and a humor that, that I really thought was pretty cool and, uh, and on and on. So I read that magazine and, and darn near tore it to shreds. I mean, I read it cover to cover a million times. Um, and I think I still have it in a box over there. Uh, but when I got home, I couldn't find it because Uh-oh. it wasn't carried where I lived. And I learned that it was bi-monthly. It was every two months a new copy would come out. And uh, a couple of months went by, but sure enough, my local grocery store picked it up. And uh, the interesting part about that is they didn't do subscriptions at that point. It was newsstand only. And oh, wow. it, it was published by none other than Peterson Publishing. So the same group that did oh. Hot Rod did cartoons. And later in life, right. as I learned, uh, you know, and I, I started to work at Hot Rod, I learned that that was part of uh, Robert Peterson's strategy of cradle to grave marketing. Ah, hook him as I a kid. See. I see. You know, grow him out of uh, <laughs> cartoons into you know maybe uh, a car craft magazine, and then get him into Hot Rod, and then get him into Motor Trend when they got a family. And then the uh-huh. other magazines and, and then diverse interests of hunting and fishing. And you have a lifelong customer. So it, it worked. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, would, I, say, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, still talking about that. So mm-hmm. I bought every one that I could. And, and uh, probably all the way up into high school, I could still get them. And by that point, I had, I had outgrown, you know, the, the subject matter. It wasn't, you know... It was targeted towards a younger audience, and by that point, right. I was reading Car Craft and Hot Rod. But I still always thought they were kind of neat, and and I always think of that as a summertime thing, um, even though I got them year-round. But I was exposed to that in the summertime, right. and I remember drawing pictures right. and doing all this stuff. And uh-huh. uh, interestingly, by the time I got to L.A., Cartoons Magazine kind of – it was done being published in about 91, I think. It went away. Um they just realized it was not profitable. There wasn't any advertising in it. It was just, you know, mm-hmm. for fun, basically. Right. But the guys uh, at Hot Rod Magazine and I, when I was doing the TV show, we had a big conversation about Cartoons Magazine. And it turns out that David Freiberger grew up reading Cartoons Magazine, and so did Rob Canan. And, and yeah. some of the other guys, Ro McGonigal, who was editor at the time, knew all the guys that wrote the magazine and Steve Mignante huh. collected, car, you know, cartoons magazine. So I said, oh, you know, that's cool. We, we need to do something with this. So, uh, the magazine cartoons was started in, um, heck back in 59, I believe by a guy named Pete Millar. And, uh, Pete lived in Palos Verdes, California. So we did a TV episode and interviewed him. So I got to meet the guy 
and see, nice. see some of his sketches and artwork and, and had a great interview with him. And uh, the next one was uh, Steve Austin, that other artist I really liked. He lived uh-huh. up in, um, in outside of Bakersfield in California. So grabbed a camera and trucked up there and interviewed him in his own little studio. And, nice. and uh, yeah, and it was really, really cool. This is like, you know, in, in 2001 or so or 2002, right around then. And when uh, we finished up the interview with Steve Austin, he's like, well, hey, let me let me show you something. And hanging on my wall here in my garage is the original artwork from one of the stories from a cartoons magazine. And, and what they would do is they would oh, wow. hand, hand draw this thing and then it gets photographed and turned into a magazine print. And he hands me this thing and signs it. And he said, here, you can have this. And I've got the magazine that this story was in. <laughs> and I know this story vividly. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. It was really, really wild. Uh, so oh, that's radical, uh, man. So it's, it's framed on the wall here. And um, he was a super cool guy. And uh, George Trosley, unfortunately, lived in Pennsylvania. And we didn't have the budget to fly out there to do an interview with him. Wow. So we did a phone interview. And uh, I conducted that whole thing. I hired a local camera crew to go to his house, and they did the video side, and I interviewed him over the phone. And, and he and I have been, you know, I don't want to say we're great buddies, but we interact every once in a while. And a handful sure. of the other artists um, I was able to, you know, connect with on Facebook and whatnot. And then a year and a half ago, a guy out of Canada buys the cartoon's name and starts printing the magazine again. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. You can get cartoons magazine all over again and it's the same logo and it's the same kind of themes, but it's interesting to see how far it's come because now it's all drawn digitally and you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. using illustrator or Photoshop or that kind of stuff. So it doesn't mm-hmm. have the hand drawn, uh, you know, cheap newsprint kind of feel that it used to, but it exists again, right. you know? So, and, uh, Mark, um, I think his last name is Matho, the guy that uh, created that. He and I have been discussing doing an interview, probably in this very venue, uh, as a guest about uh, about cartoons and and what that's all oh, about. Right so on. I got a chance to talk to him a couple times. So yeah, totally wild. Good. All right, man. We got things happening here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all this. I'm gonna have crazy dreams tonight, man. You just took me back all the way down. <laughs> all from one trivia question yeah no kidding i dig it i dig it well and then earlier today um on our vatv website vatvshow.com on the homepage, i don't know if you had a chance to see this or not but i found one of my all-time favorite uh, uh tv cartoons which is called um one cab's family it's from it's a tex avery cartoon from 1952 where the mom and dad are the are the cab and the station wagon and they have a little baby who's a little taxi cab and the moral of the story is the kid wants to be a hot rod so he beefs himself up with a flathead and a foxtail and he goes out and almost gets his old man killed (laughs) you remember that i remember watching this what where what have i been living oh yeah man again and i did not plan this earlier to you and i you know it may not seem obvious, but we don't discuss these shows before we start rolling. <laughs> <laughs> for, as, for as tight as they are and as well put together, this is all freeform people. Correct, yes. <laughs> I had no idea that we would go this direction, but uh, <laughs> I found that, that cartoon in its entirety, and it's on the VATVshow.com homepage, and it's awesome. It is so well done, and it, it's interesting because it is a – a total precursor to Pixar's cars because they have eyes in the windshield the same way. And okay. The cars have talking personalities and everything. And it's, uh, it's killer. So if you get a chance, go over to the VATVshow.com website and, uh, check that one out because I'm sure you're going to, you're going to recognize it. You know, I remember this and there you go. And then it'll happen to you, my friend, and you'll have this big Yeah, game. then I'll just be thinking about it all night. <laughs> Why did he say that? That's right. Oh, man. So uh, you were, let's see, we've been going to, or you've been going to some shows lately. Um, but one that we haven't gone to that's a really cool one is uh, that Good Guys show. Oh, huge. Uh, Columbus. We just had one in. In Columbus, right, right, right. What they're celebrating their twentieth year this year for that show. 
Yeah, that that's thing. right. That's right. Well, so I have not, I have to confess, I haven't been to Good Guys Columbus in many years. I've been to some of the other Columbus shows, and I'm sure, no doubt, you, you're from Ohio originally, right? Did you ever go to the Supernats or any of the big Ohio shows there? No, you know what? I haven't. I'm, I grew up in Ohio. I spent my formative years there. But I left, I went, I, I moved to Texas in my mid-sophomore year, like 1985. And um, the only time I was back living is when I got out of the Air Force in 91. And I was just there for six months, and then I moved out here to Illinois. Mm-hmm. So I've been to Illinois uh, since summer of 92. And uh, so I no, I never, I never went to any of those big Ohio shows. Which I, I mean, I'd love to go to that Ames uh, show in uh, Norwalk. Mm-hmm. That would be a great one. I'd love to go to a Good Guy show uh, in Columbus. That would be a great one too. But uh, no, I've, I've been missing them all these years. Yeah, it's Colum- kind of a bummer. <laughs> well, I mean, you can't, you can't be everywhere, and that's that's part of the deal. Right. We're we're so lucky that there mm-hmm. is so much going on. Uh, you know, as when I was at uh, DuCoin yeah. a couple weeks ago for the Street Machine Nats, there was a couple people commenting. They're like, "Yeah, you know, there needs to be more vendors here. There used to be more vendors." And you try to tell somebody, "There's there's ten other events going on in this country, national yeah. level events that you know there's everybody gets kind of spread thin." But uh, yeah. Columbus, uh, good guys, is one of if not their their pinnacle event. Uh, because that's where they hand out the hardware, man. It's the awards uh, for the street machine of the year and the street rod of the year. And the street machine of the year is like, these cars are over the top. I mean, these are um, a lot of times some of the some of the higher level SEMA cars. Um, there are a lot of cars that are debuted for that event. Um, it's not like the Riddler award where the car can't be seen anywhere else, but if you've got, you know, a killer street machine, which kind of means like uh-huh. super high end pro touring kind of stuff, um, uh-huh. street machine of the year award is one of the most prestigious awards there is. And, uh, that's where they all, that's where they all fight it out. And, uh-huh. uh, I'm pretty sure I got to check and see there used to be a, a driving component to that as well. Um, not just show and shine kind of thing. So okay, yeah. They, I mean, I know they have not they, they have an autocross there. Sorry, they have an autocross and they have a vintage drags there as well, which would be so cool to watch. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And I think looking at um, <clears throat> some of the cars that were competing this year, the winner because it's already happened. I'm not letting the cat in a bag. But the winner was this <laughs> yellow Camaro built by the Roadster Shop. And I don't know if you've had a chance to see this thing in person. It's a yellow '69 Camaro, and I shame on me, but I forgot the I forgot the name of the car because it kind of doesn't need one. <laughs> it's that yellow car uh-huh. that the Roadster Shop built. <laughs> yellow '69 like, Camaro. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, that one." Um, this car is so precise and so straight, and it's so tight the way it really? fits. It doesn't even make sense. And and you and I have talked really? before. Yeah, you and I have talked before about some of the roadster shop creations that are like that, and this is one of them. And I think one of the uh-huh. one of the best details on this car is the front bumper, because as you know, on a '69 Camaro, the the chrome or the body color bumper, the enduro bumper option, it it kind of makes a smile on the bottom side of the grill opening, and it curves up on the sides, and it right at first glance. You know, they never really fit right. They didn't, they didn't fit right mm-hmm. from the factory. And, and because it's such a complex shape, it's like really tricky to cut one up and make it fit right. And I think what, what these guys did, I think they just made the whole nose of the car over again and then cut the bumper out of that. There, oh, wow. There's like a credit card size slot that you could, you know, you can fit like, a handful of frog hairs between the bumper and the body, you know? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's like, they, they made that a separate piece just to say, you know, it's just kind of a middle finger to everybody saying, look at how tight we can make this. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I saw the car at SEMA and, and I, I, I barely got past the damn bumper. <laughs> I was just wow. like, this is insane. And, and they've got details on that thing. They have a, a dip in the roof that actually, 
the gla- rear glass conforms to the roof shape. I mean, the the it's not really? a flat piece of glass. Yeah. It's bent, and the right. uh, the body lines travel through the glass. I mean, it it's it's Oof. off the scale. And uh, again, you know, you and I have discussed my my standpoint on some of the cars like that. Th- this to me is like a a factory level concept car. It's so far distance from a muscle car, and it's very far distance uh-huh. from a you know a pro touring car or something you'd see actually driving mm-hmm. down the street that my mind just kind of has a disconnect. I don't really understand it. You know, it's like, Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's trippy. It, yeah, you have to throw a picture on that on the, on the website. I, I will V eight, uh, uh, Facebook page without a doubt. Cause it is, Groovy. um, it's out there. And then some of the other contenders ring brothers had a, a blue 69 Camaro there also. That is just as, as um, innovative as far as the style of it. Um, there was a, 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 you know, a, a handful of really rock solid cars that were competing for street machine of the year. Um, but congratulations to the roadster shop guys. Cause that thing, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> and, and then on the, the street rod of the year side, you know, so this is your pre 48 cars, your fat fender stuff, your 32 Fords, that kind of deal. Um, Alan Johnson mm-hmm. and Johnson Hot Rods uh, won with a George Poteet uh, Ford that, again, it's it's everything the Roadster Shop car is, but just in a different era. You know, it's the same level of execution mm-hmm. and fit and thought and innovation. So those are huge selling points to go to that event, just to see these level of cars up close and in person. And um, it's definitely... A, a goal that our shop aspires to is to have a, a contender in that event. Um, we've built some nice cars. Uh, oh, yeah. Some of it is timing, you know, to be able to, to bring the car out and, and get it there. Um, but but these are definitely, I'm going to guess that both of those were, were seven-figure builds or close to it. Ooh. Yeah. Yeesh. <laughs> That's that's a good day's pay, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's a great day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a day's pay. Then hey, count me in. Want that job? So yeah, Gosh, there's uh, seven figures. I mean, think of all the innovation and all the all the things you have to figure out. I mean, like body lines through glass. I mean, who does that? Right. No, yeah. nobody to, yeah. until until one shop, i.e., roaster shop, says. Okay, we're going to figure this out. We're going to do this, and they do it. Well, yeah, and and I think uh, it's nuts. What what's so crazy about that is there's a freedom there to where shops like that have the resources and and customers with the resources to just say, yeah, we're going to make that, you know, and then you figure mm-hmm. out how to do it next, you know, right, um, right. One of the uh, the things I thought was pretty mind bending about the uh, the Riddler winner this past year, the Cal Auto Designs um, uh, thirty two that those guys built. I, guess, I think it was a 32, thirty two or twenty nine or thirty one. Again, forgive me. I, the car is so radically different from what it was that it's hard to you know mm-hmm. easily identify. But the right. floor on this thing was CNC machine. This is not really? this is not a sheet metal floor in the car. It is a contoured reliefed aluminum floor that was machined. Whoa. Right. Yeah, yeah. So who who even thinks of that, you know, to do that? No yeah. nobody. Nobody. I can't that's, tell that's, you That's outrageous. Right. If I had a room full of uh, machines and programmers and a customer that said I can pay for this, I don't think I'd walk in there and say, "Okay guys, now we're going to do a floor." <laughs> yeah yeah i mean who thinks of that right my gosh so it's it just it boggles the mind it really does it, it, the, the cool thing about a lot of this innovation not just um looking at it and, and appreciating it but some of this stuff trickles down to the regular people over time where people were doing that first guy who did like flush mounted glass in a muscle car, you know, somebody thought of that. And now other shops can do that kind of thing too. It's like, Oh, this guy, he's, this is what he did. And that's a great idea. We'll do that too. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that works for everybody. I think that's, I mean, it's great for the, 
it's great for the buyer. You know, it's good for the shop to learn that kind of skill and to offer that service. So, yeah, I think you're right because it it becomes available to more people. The the one off stuff eventually becomes available to the masses, and, right. and and I think it's so cool to see how technology has evolved to allow these these manufacturing techniques to happen in a hot rod shop and not yeah. not just an assembly line manufacturing plant, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for real. It just takes the creativity to apply to it. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's something else. And, and we've got a bunch of cool things in the works and some, some pretty neat cars coming up with some, um, some higher level stuff. And to me, it's interesting and please don't get upset. <laughs> and I'm speaking to the world for what I'm about to say. <laughs> Because it, uh, what I'm going to say is going to, it's going to sound like I'm being just a jerk, but I'm not. But there really is almost a template for that level of innovative street machine of the year type car. And I'm certainly not saying that these are easy to do or that they are right. in any way not unique. But, but there are elements that they all seem to have currently. And it's okay. like, okay, so if you if you have those elements, it helps to push the car into that direction. And and the elements I'm talking about are, like you're saying, a lot of them have the flush glass and the hyper smooth finish and super mm-hmm. razor crisp body lines and super tight gaps. Another thing we're seeing is, of course, the stance and the wheels. You got to have, to, to compete there, you need a custom wheel for that car. It's not, right. nothing off the shelf about the wheels. They're all made for mm-hmm. those cars. Um, so you need that. Then when you open the hood, um, generally it's a modern power plant with injection and everything else, but it's, it's dipped in a satin type finish and you've got closeout panels around the inner fenders and the firewall mm-hmm. to where they've got reliefs either hammered into them or rolled into them or whatever molded. So they've got these kind of organic shapes floating around. Um, and then the interior needs to have you know a look that uh, either looks like a super high-end european concept car or something that you're going to find in a mansion in the cigar smoking room with rich deep leather you know that's sculpted and yeah. and you're, you got to put the smoking jacket on and you know <laughs> and go sit in that and what, because there are more people that can create these types of elements, we're seeing those same kind of elements applied to different cars, um, be it a 55 Nomad or a 69 Camaro or a, a pickup truck or, or whatever it is. But when you when your eye sees, oh, look at how smooth and straight and the satin finishes, and the, the custom one-off wheels, and then that overblown kind of leather interior with a lot of rings – they like rings yeah. and, and mesh and, and uh, the, uh-huh. the dimple dye, you know, uh, panels under the hood. Mm-hmm. Bam. There's your street machine of the year elements, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But recently I'm trying to investigate, okay, so, so, so what's next, you know, because the cool thing is most of these cars also perform. Because the suspensions are there, the uh-huh. engines are there, so you got—they're hitting on all these different levels. They drive, they stop, they look awesome, they're comfortable, they're of a certain style. But you know, if you want to play the game, you got to bring some to the table. So, what's the next right. thing that's going to wind everybody up? Well, CNC machine floors—that's that's helping out. <laughs> well, yeah, it does. But I, again, I didn't want my statement before to to kind of cheapen that to say. Well, sure. All you need right. to do is yeah, I, paint I under hood satin and roll some right. reliefs into this and make this and then you right. got it, you know, but because that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. So I guess yeah. for me, um, kind of a direction that I am really intrigued with is maybe it's not, and not, not to be a contrarian, but I'm fascinated with taking some of the new technology and applying it to the original stuff, Right. Right. Yeah. So right now there are guys who've built um, East Bay muscle cars, did a 65 Riviera that was phenomenal. It was 
chocolate brown and it had an LS motor that was disguised to look like an original nail head. And it was, oh, no it was green and it had the air cleaner and it had the valve covers. I mean, they really pulled it off. If you didn't, the giveaway was the front runner belt drive on the front. Everything mm-hmm. else looked just like a nail head 425 huh. Buick. Nice. So now you've got, you know, a modern engine that plays the part. But in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why don't we build a modern nail head? You know, why don't we get yeah. a nail head and let's CNC machine the block to make sure that it's perfect. Let's right. do some oiling modifications. Let's design a roller cam retrofit. Let's do some exotic pistons that are coated with modern stuff. Let's do a CNC. Let's make some cylinder heads, you know? Let's cast yeah. some and correct the valve sure. geometry and and make an intake manifold. And and if if GM for whatever reason was to build a nail head today, what would that be? You know? So when you open the hood, mm-hmm. And sure, you could apply your satin finishes or make it look like, you know, 1965 or whatever. But apply those things to see, you know, because guys today are like, well, an LS motor, you know, if you don't make 400 horsepower with an LS, you know, it's probably not even running, you know, because of the (laughs) the technology that went into designing that engine. But would a a 425 Buick with that same design technology applied to it be just just as cool, just as much, just as strong? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why couldn't it be? I mean, if if you, you you correct a lot of the the shortcomings it had, all the compromises it had when it was originally produced, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. there's no reason why it couldn't be just just as effective as any modern LS, right? And just and just as versatile as far as force induction is concerned as well, right? And let's do a supercharger that that you know has an appearance of something that would have been back in the day, but the functionality. And then, right. to me, I think you could have a whole row of cars that had the panels and the satins and the LSs, but you open the hood on that, and then it's like, oh, yeah. okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. this guy showed up with something, you know. Yeah, now that's different. Right. And yeah, and it translates to all of them. The Pontiac world, I mean, now, today, there's a couple of guys making aluminum blocks and, and things for big Pontiacs. Yeah. But correct me if I'm wrong, yep. those are mostly like really high performance, big inch kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're buying an aluminum uh, Pontiac block, you're, you're, you're in the 500 inch category, um, you know, up to over a thousand horsepower it can handle. And, it, and what's great about those blocks is it, it does just what you're talking about. It fixes a lot of the weaknesses that the original cast blocks had mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like if you look in a pontiac lifter valley it's you know it's like swiss cheese because hardly anything is connected in there um it's it's all solid all all the way down from the front to back and it's strong and it, it has uh you know thicker thicker mains and you know better oil passages better cooling so it's just an all-around better stronger piece and have you seen any I'd of love, those? I'd love to have one. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> have, have you seen any of those done in a street driving, non-race application? Not, not an aluminum block. I haven't. I not mean, a, not an aftermarket aluminum block, or or even the aftermarket cast iron blocks. I haven't seen. Yeah, those just m- mostly just you know aftermarket heads is is what you see. Those and cast iron blocks are nice too. They're they're an O ring block with a screw and freeze plug and all that jazz. Right. Cross bolts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um sure. Imagine one of those in a sixty nine GTO or something, you know. How about a sixty seven GTO? <laughs> That's what I'd like to see. One How about a, a gold one, maybe. <laughs> bang, bang. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But you know Hey, speaking of speaking of GTOs, I made a little bit of progress on that. Really? I uh, I got the engine bay all painted up nice and pretty. That's right. Uh in uh in preparation for my engine coming home one of these days. Uh, that um, is correct. Yeah. So I remember you posting some pictures on one of the, uh, the Pontiac groups on, on the Facebook about that yeah. process. And, uh, and it looked awesome. Yeah. It's, you know what? I didn't think it was going to turn out as nice as it did, but it turned out fairly well for, you know, for a guy with an amateur painter with a rattle can, it turned out not too bad. I mean, Set, your satin finish covers a lot of sins. Well, yeah, and it looks right. It's what it's kind of supposed to have. Yeah, is that, exactly, that satin. And, exactly. All right, so in your case, your engine's out. It's at the machinist. 
So the car's sitting there with a, you know, its mouth gaping wide open. So it was yeah. it was great that you decided to take the opportunity while it was out, you know, yeah. to get something yeah, else done. Sure. Do you have any uh, tips on, on that experience that would be helpful to somebody who's going to do a, an engine bay resto with the engine yanked? Uh, just make sure your masking is, is thorough. And um, I got a, a tip from you uh, to mask off like you, your uh, brake lines and, and fuel lines mm. or AC stuff with tinfoil. And it, it covers real fast and it comes off real easy. And it, and it masks the lines nicely. So yeah, that was the- a great tip. I'm glad saved me that, a lot of time. Glad, Appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Glad that worked out for you because we <clears throat> we do that all the time in the shop. When you got an odd shaped thing, you can just crunch it around. You don't have to burn tape or any of that yeah. stuff. So, how did you clean everything in the paint? I um, I I hose it all down with uh, uh, sprayed it with degreaser and let it sit for a little while. And then my buddy Randy came by with a pressure washer, and then we pressure washed it. And then got made sure all the grease was out and dried it. Then I masked everything off and shot it. Did you have any um, paint adhesion problems anywhere where it wasn't sticking or it was still greasy or whatever? No, oh, no, oh, no problems at all. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it, great. And you gave me the tip of that 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 paint from Ace. It has the the rotatable uh, nozzle. Yeah, isn't that so cool? you can you can change you can change the spray pattern depending on where you're spraying it. And that that was. That was huge too. That helped out quite a bit. Yeah, that's good so, stuff. Yeah, it, it it laid down nice. It dries fast. Um, and no problems with it popping back up. And you know, cause my buddy was telling me, you know, just be careful because it might. If you spray your next coat on there, it might lift. Mm, but yeah. nothing lifted. I put three coats on there, and it's great. Awesome. So well, good. That's fantastic. Go me. Yeah, that's gonna make that mm-hmm. engine look uh, look killer. So. Your goal yeah, is yeah. kind of a fairly stock appearance for the most part. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I, I've been contemplating doing that on, uh, well, either on the Buick or, or I'm not even going to go there, but it needs to happen. <laughs> 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 I'm in this debate. It's like, you know, the car, in my case, the 70 Buick I have, it's it now has 32,000 miles on it because I've been driving it. Oh, Oh, and it's, it's clapped out. Well, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a roach. Uh, I mean, it's got some issues, and, and, and uh, it, uh, but not. It's not like all the paint's falling off, and it doesn't really offend me because I, I get it. It's like, well, this is still all original stuff. So, do you do you do anything with it or not? You know, it's this mm-hmm. struggle that I have. And the, the ridiculous mm-hmm. thing about it is the car is never really going to be worth anything. So it's not like that's an original L88 Corvette or something. So if I did what right. you did, and and even if I masked off the whole motor and rattle can the whole thing, there's not a person uh, in the world that's going to go, oh, yeah, you ruined that car because it's not original paint. Right. Or Nobody <laughs> yeah. cares. But to me, you know, I guess I have so much respect for those original finishes and, and coatings right. that it's like, yeah, I kind of want to leave it. But then, am I disrespecting the car by letting it go out in public with surface rust and, you know, other crap on it mm-hmm. that it, maybe it maybe it needs it deserves to be, uh, you know, have a new coat of makeup on it? You know, who knows? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. You, you got to look hard to find a lot of bad things on that car. Yeah, it's got you know it's got some hail dings on it, but that's overall that's a nice looking survivor car. I mean, I wouldn't be ashamed to drive it anywhere well and no it's not that i'm not a sh- that i'm ashamed to drive it anywhere mm-hmm. it's just this this kind of internal battle i mean i i like it the way it is and, yeah. I, and i know for a fact what it's going to take if i'm going to paint this car it's going to be nice it has to be the yeah. same way you think you know you're not going to do it the outside of the car you want the gaps to be right you want the fit yeah. and the, you know if if i ever did repaint this car um, the color that's on it now is um, is a uh, a red that was a kind of a you know a metallic cranberry red almost. Today I would do one of the modern tri coat, super vivid, same color but uh-huh. much deeper looking, uh-huh. you know, and it, it would oh yeah it, it would look awesome. That would look sharp. But because I know what it takes to do that, then I step back and go, yeah, this ain't so bad, you know. I'm just. <laughs> 
<laughs> I can live with this a little bit longer. Yeah, Ugh. you know, I don't think I really need to go down because I don't want to take it apart and I don't want to, you know, have the thing be out of commission, you know, for six months or whatever, you know, because mm-hmm. my I don't have a lot of time to do this stuff. Right. So it'd be nights and weekends and. And I, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I don't right. have the financial resources to hire my own shop and say, you guys do it, which, you know, <laughs> I would love to do because right. I know our crew would just make the thing insane. Oh. Uh, but I'm too busy putting money into the business instead of, you know, right. spending it in the business. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're right. That survivor term is is fitting because... Um, this thing's been there and it's, uh, it's been through a lot and it's all still there, you know? Yeah. Even the date coated belts. Yeah. Right. I still got that those. You yeah. The steering yeah. belt. I bought a new steering belt and it squeaked just as bad as the old one. And I put the old one ah, back on. So that, that is the 1970 steering belt on there right now. Right on. And last week I took the car out and I was going to go to, uh, I don't know, get lunch or something. And I made it uh, about a mile from my house, and it went, boom. <laughs> and then it just co- oh, no. it just coasted to a stop. <laughs> and I went, what the heck just happened here, right? And I can smell oh, smell geez. coolant. And uh, I, I actually shot video oh, when it happened, and I'll, I'll put the link on the uh, on our V8 radio uh, website page for this episode. Uh, I opened the hood, and there's coolant everywhere. I mean, just the whole thing is sprayed and coolant, but every hose oh, is intact. Geez. The radiator cap is on. The car's not that hot. It's been driven a mile. And I'm like, what the heck huh. is going on here, right? So yeah. I started poking around, and, and by squeezing the upper radiator hose and putting some pressure on it, these 455 Buick engines have a little gooseneck hose that goes from the water pump to the intake manifold. And when you squeeze the top hose, it kind of pe- okay. peed out of the out of that little hose it, that little hose just uh, it just it punctured you know it, it just gave it up it burst mm-hmm. yeah and sure 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 the good thing was uh, uh kelly was home so she came in and kind of rescued me which really all i needed was a better pair of pliers because the car has all of its original spring clamps on it except for a couple of screw clamps and those spring clamps suck oh, wow. they're impossible to, to get off so i looped out the heater core and was able to uh, get back on the road just by looping out the heater core and, and topping off the coolant and driving it home. And the reason why it died is because that hose that burst sprayed coolant into my distributor. And it oh. knocked out my uh, Petronics unit, which luckily, uh, Kelly had brought me a can of compressed air, you know, that you, you dust off computers with. Yeah. And I was able sure. to just kind of dry that out, and it started right up. Oh, um, that's right. But that that distributor's up front on that engine, right? Correct. Yeah, it yeah. shot right at it. So the interesting thing, though, is that that hose that blew is uh-huh. uh, red because that was put on in 1970. <laughs> oh, good lord! <laughs> and it's like, of course, you jerk. What are you driving around with? You know, a 47-year-old. <laughs> Heater, yes. radiator hose on your car. It's a survivor. I have to. See see what the problem is here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. No, you get a pass for consumables and soft parts, so yeah. change everything. And even when this thing had failed, it that, that hose is old and crotchety enough to where it visibly didn't look like it failed. It, like I said, I had to really squeeze that thing to find that leak. Really? Um, That's trippy. So huh. the video of that day is, uh, I'll put that up because it was kind, All right. kind of funny. I made it home. Good. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. Yeah. All right. Well, in this profoundly okay episode, um, half the show was a trivia question, and now I'm curious to know if I'm right. (laughs) All right. I asked you, what year did Chrysler buy AMC? And Kevin said 1983. Is that correct? That's what I said. I don't know if it's correct or not, but that's what I said. Well, I know if it's correct, and it is not. It is not. It is not. It is 1987. Seven. Chrysler bought AMC. Holy mackerel. So it was after the bailout. Yeah. Must have been. Right? Because uh, the K car was the the big right. bailout car. So Chrysler got the government bailout in 81, 82. Mm-hmm. Somewhere around that. And and AMC was AMC Renault. And they were making the, uh, the Renault mm-hmm. Encore. 
Remember that fine piece of machinery? <laughs> well, anything, anything Renault yeah. is a fine piece of machinery. My Jenny, my wife Jenny, her first car was a Renault Alliance. Alliance, that was the other one, yes. Yeah, and that was as big a pile as you would as you can imagine <laughs> it would be. Well, they also had the fine Le Car. Yeah, oh, yes, the Le Car. And oh, and the uh, the Fuego. Remember that? The, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I do remember that. The Renault Fuego. Yes. That was uh, Fuego, which is French for pile, I think. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, indeed. Uh, indeed, it is. <laughs> you want another head trip? Is look one of those things up online, and it's just as weird today as it was then. So. Mm. I will do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so I lose. And in your case, uh, where did the Shelby GT350 get its name? Yeah. And it's funny because as we're talking about this, I think this might have been a trivia question on an earlier episode. <laughs> do you think so? I think I might I have asked you this already. I don't know. Nah. Well, you said hey, it you was probably uh, 350 steps from the office, Shelby's office, to a shop. Yeah. So they just kind of yeah. went, let's call it that. And you are basically correct, sir. Congratulations. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yes. That I win. It's Kevin loses. That's I win. Completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can run around the neighborhood with that one. Oh, I am. I'm calling my mom right now. <laughs> 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 bring her down into this quagmire too <laughs> um basically i'm not sure if it was steps or feet but um but uh-huh. yeah they were trying to come up with a name for the car and uh somebody casually mentioned that it was uh 350 you know i guess shelby asked and said how far away is the shop and somebody said i don't know 350 feet and he said call it the gt350 uh, if it's a good car, the name won't matter. And if it's a bad car, the name ain't going to fix it. Yeah, that's good. It's good advice. So he really thought it didn't, it wasn't about the name. And it turns out that it's a mm. tremendously awesome car. So yeah. we still have them today. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And the sidebar. So on, then where did the GT500 come from? Yeah, so that's the sidebar. And the 500 mm-hmm. was the big block version. Mm-hmm. And the story that I've heard on that side is that. Uh, your Fords had 427s, your Chrysler had a 426, your Chevrolet products had a 427 at the time, and Shelby just wanted a bigger number. So he just went to right, uh-huh. went right to 500, and just there it was. Okay. Um, because it's got nothing to do with like the Galaxy 500, which was stemmed from a NASCAR race, 500-mile race, 500-lap, 500 500-mile 500 right. race. Uh, nothing to do with right. that. This was purely just make it bigger and badder than those others and 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 they are in many many ways the first couple anyway definitely well right on man so now i gotta think back i gotta put some pictures up of uh some amc products (laughs) 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 what else Uh, i have to go back and listen to the tape and make sure i uh i get the the link to the video of the cartoons and video yeah yeah yeah. and the video of you of you blowing up your coolant hose yes correct Yeah, yeah 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 all right be able to re- relive oh. the whole thing over again. <laughs> Sweet. Yes. And that's what it's all about here. So It is. Yeah. It is. Well, listen, uh, this was fun. Like I said, I'm my mind is blown. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, you bet, man. Happy to do my part. Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, thanks for hanging with us for another episode of V8 Radio. Uh, if you like this kind of stuff, there's more on the website at V8Radio.com, also our V8 TV uh, website for the video side of things. Of course, VATV airs in, uh, I think, 72 markets around the country at this point on the Tough TV Network, the Action Channel, and the Revan Channel. And uh, Revan's supposed to have some pretty cool big announcements. They've got some new brass over there doing some new stuff, so that'll be cool. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that jazz, we're there. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes, the TuneIn Radio app, or Google Play. Or just go right to V8 Radio and listen manually, if you will. And um, we started doing uh, a couple things recently on the Facebook page and on the V8 TV show site. Our Minute to Win It live videos, which... Um, I, I like those Minute to Win It live videos. Yeah, I'm glad you do. They, uh, they're normally not a minute. 
<laughs> and there's very little winning. Well, the name is the name is catchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's just kind of some kind of thing that happens in the shop that uh, deserves to be discussed real quick. So uh, uh, we'll be doing more of those, and uh, you can catch more of our nonsense there. So again, man, it was uh, it was a blast, and uh, we will see you next time on V8 Radio.